So it's only going to get better. Hallelujah. I don't know if y'all can sense, you know, there's a, there's a spirit of God is here. I mean, he's always with us. He's a bit, sometimes you can sense it more than other times, you know. And I feel like I can really, you know, sense his presence today. Amen. And God has something for every person through what we're going to talk about today. And so... Look for where you fit in here. You know, you may I may start this, and you may be like, "Well, this has nothing to do with me." Well, it it may, you know, it probably does have something to do with you. Amen. So we're gonna we're gonna let's turn over um, to Luke fourteen, Luke fifteen, Luke fourteen in there, and I'm gonna pray real quick. Father God, we just I worship you today, Father, and I'm just trusting you that you're gonna give me utterance, you're gonna give me the words to speak that you want me to say, Lord, and, and keep me away from the things that you don't, don't want me to say. And I thank you, Father, that your Holy Spirit, their, your manifest presence, I know, is in this place today. And I thank you, and I'm trusting you, Lord, that you're going to move on people's hearts. You're going you're gonna, to, they're going to sense that draw. If they need to sense that draw, Father God, they're, they're going to sense your presence in whatever way they need to respond to this message today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know how to, you know, people do, should I give you the title or should I just wait? You'll figure it out. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) We're going to talk about the prodigal son today. Amen. But we're going to, I'm going to kind of summarize Luke 14, okay? Because it's really interesting when you're studying for something to go, you know, before, what you're going to talk, what, what's been going on? What's been happening? Okay, so I'm going to summarize a little bit of Luke 14. Jesus, we know, he, was, he traveled around, he preached, he taught to the, to the multitudes, he healed the sick, Right, and he challenged the religious people. Yeah. Yeah. When we, when religion or religious rulers or anything is mentioned in the Bible, you notice it's not a good reference. <laughs> I didn't say church. I said when it talks about like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious rulers. Okay. It was never a good thing, never a positive thing. Okay, but he, he had been doing this, and he made them mad. All right? So in Luke 14, he's at a meal with a group of these people. He's at a meal with a, he's in a, a ruler of the Pharisees' house, and there's other people there, okay? Other Pharisees, I'm assuming. And it looks on first glance in Luke 14 that they're being real hospitable to him, yeah. inviting him in, I come have dinner, okay. But no, it's, it's not as it seems, okay. I think I'm getting a little bit of a, a ring. Um, but look, Luke 14, verse 1, it says, Now it happened, as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. Notice that. They watched him closely. They weren't saying, hey, we want to be friends with you. We want to learn from you. That's what it seemed like. He knew that wasn't their motive. And he goes on to show that he knows that's not their motive. But they were watching him closely. What they were doing, uh, they were waiting. They were just waiting for him to do something that they could criticize. 
The religious rulers were waiting for Jesus to make a mistake, that they could just see what I mean, see he's a, you know, whatever. Uh, they were waiting on that. Okay, but notice Jesus always had a way of turning the spotlight around. They were waiting for him to make a mistake. He had a way, roundabout way, of turning that around to shine and expose their own wrong motives and attitudes. Okay, those people that should have known better. They should have known better. And so just in summarizing, first he, he goes, it's in like uh, verse 3. He asked them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, he knows, they know, everybody knows. They said it was against the law to heal on the Sabbath. So it's not like he didn't know the answer to their question, but they didn't answer him because he's going to go on. He, you know, he exposes their hypocrisy. Yes. That... Because he went on, you know, and said, you know, if your animal falls into a ditch on the Sabbath, are you not going to rescue him? You know, but yet we're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. Who's more important, the animal or the person? Okay. And he's at their, he's a guest. <laughs> he's a guest in their home. <laughs> say, you hypocrites, you know. Okay, and then secondly... He noticed when they came in, they were all wanting the best seat. They want, they're like, that, that seat, that's the best one. I'm headed there. And he's like, no, Joe, I'm getting, that's my seat. You know, they're, they're all vying for the best seat. And so he exposes their pride. And he said, it would be better for you. Look, you're going to be humiliated. You're going to go sit in the best seat. And someone's going to have to go to you and say, that seat's for somebody else. There's a more honored guest here. <laughs> so he's saying, take the position of humility and let God exalt you. Okay. He's a guest in our home. He's having a meal. <laughs> and okay. And then he told them, and this is, I'm just summarizing here, just so you can see where we're leading up to in Luke 15. Um, that he said, when you have a feast, don't just invite all the people you know. All the people that you know are going to repay you. All the people that are going to do it in return. They're going to give you something back for it. So don't do that. Don't do things with the motive that I'm going to get something back in return. Let the Lord repay you. Like your, your payment, your reward is in heaven. Don't look for people to pay you back. Amen. Amen. And then lastly, he, t he told them a parable. And I think this is great. He told them a parable of a great supper. Okay, many people were invited to this meal. This is his story. A parable is just a story. He tells them a story of his master that he, he sent out invitations to a great supper. And... He sent his sermon out to go invite all of these people. I mean, and during this time, preparations were made. Preparations were made. The feast was made and all that. Well, the servant comes back and says, well, I mean, nobody's coming. You know, nobody's coming. Because instead of those people accepting the invitation, they gave him excuses why they couldn't come. And they had different excuses. They were silly excuses. Okay, but they had excuses. And so, you know what he did? 
He, said, he sent his servant back out to invite those people, really, that society looked down upon. He, he extended the invitation to them. Amen. And then he summarized all this in saying, those that say, because at the start of that parable of the Great Supper, one of these people, in verse 15, one of those that sat at the table with him, this is this Pharisee, you know, said, well, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, like, this is great. But then Jesus goes through all this. Those people I invited, they didn't come. So I sent the invitation to somebody else. And if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you must forsake all and follow me. Okay? So this is the meal. This is all the things he kind of addressed with them. Roundabout, he's not talking to them, you know. I'm just telling a story, you know. (laughs) But none of these things sat well with them. None of the, the, irritated them. He just, he just graded on them. It just made them matter. But notice from this, this is the attitude that the Pharisees had. It was critical. It was fault finding. It was looking for a fault. Amen. It was proud. It was selfish and full of excuses. This is the attitude of the Pharisee. Amen. Okay, so this is where we are when we pick up Luke 15. Amen. So Luke 15, it says, Then, so he's done all these sayings, going around teaching, preaching, all that. He's got fame in the land. People have heard about him, and they're coming to him to hear. It says, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, you know, those people were looked down upon in society. Nobody likes the tax collectors and the sinners. Well, these people drew near to him to hear him. They, they wanted to really hear him, not like the Pharisees said they wanted to hear him, not like the religious rulers said they wanted to hear him, okay? And he, um, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. <laughs> People came to hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained. Come on now. Did not Jesus come so people could hear him and, be, and hear the good news? And the religious people complained because the people that Jesus came to reach actually came to hear him. <laughs> and they were, they complained about it. And they talked amongst themselves saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, come on. This is what I'm thinking. Don't you know, they were complaining about the sinners coming to eat with Jesus. Don't you know, they were the first to get the invitation. They were the first ones invited. (laughs) They were the first ones invited. But they did not, they missed their time of visitation. The Jewish people in that time, they missed their time of visitation. And so what did God do? What did Jesus, he extended the invitation to the Gentiles. He said, if you're not going to 
I'm going to have a family. I'm, I'm, re- I'm here for you, Jewish nation. But they did not recognize him as their Messiah, as their Savior. They did not recognize him. They were there to complain and find a fault in him. And they were mad that he was trying to reach other people. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm picking up in in 3 and 10. I'm going to read Luke 15, so just hang with me here. Um, But it said in verse 3, it says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, because they were complaining about him eating with the tax collectors and sinners. He said, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Amen. Amen. Those 99, if you want to relate it to the kingdom of God of people that are born again, saved, have a relationship with God, those 99 were already in God's presence. They were already in the safe place. And so the shepherd goes out to find the one that that got lost. And there should be rejoicing. There should be rejoicing when that one returns. You know, you only go searching for something that's of value. If I drop a Kleenex on the ground, I mean, I will pick it up just because I don't want to litter. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if I I didn't realize I dropped it and go, oh, yeah, where's that Kleenex? You know, I'm probably not going to go searching around for it. Okay, but if I drop my wallet, I'm going to be finding that thing. Okay, you only go looking for something. Go, only go to rescue something that has value. And so that's basically, you know, 8 through 10 also, the, a lady, lose, you know, losing a coin. She, and then it's also equating to when that thing is found, there should be rejoicing, Amen. not complaining. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So let's look at the story of the parable of the, the, um, the prodigal son. All right. Now I'm going to read it, and then I'll make some comments. Verse 11. Okay. You would think, you know, why does he have to keep telling these different parables? Well, they're not getting it the first time. <laughs> they're not getting it the first time. Okay. The story of the sheep didn't work. Okay. Maybe you'll understand the one about the coins. That didn't work? Okay. Now let's try a different one. You know, he's going to tell it until we get it. All right. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided, uh, I looked down, lost my place. So he divided the, uh, to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, 
and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. How far has he come to be feeding swine, which is, you know, pigs? And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the, good, with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the father said to him, I mean, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But see, he didn't even get to finish his spiel. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And we're going to stop there for a minute. Um, notice this, this younger son. His first mistake, I think. I mean, there's probably some other revelation I don't have yet. <laughs> but his first mistake was he took from his father all he thought he needed from his father and left. And, and he, he took what he thought was valuable, the money, the resources, and then he went and he, he went his own way. And he squandered what he was given. Prodigal, it basically means wasteful. He went out and led an extravagantly wasteful life. He squandered everything, his inheritance. He did not steward well what he was given, did he? Amen. No, he wanted to be independent of his father. He wanted to be out from under the influence and the will of his father, of his household. He wanted to do his own thing. And it, we see what happened when he went to do his own thing. I mean, first he just was reckless and gave it all, you know, used it all, blew through it. And then he got down to the lowest lows. You would have thought that at that point he may have just returned and said, well, man, I made a mistake. He did not do that. He did not. He, you know, he was a Jew in, in this story. I'm assuming this is a Jewish person. He joined himself to a farmer that was a Gentile. Okay, and he went to work in his fields feeding pigs, and that would have been unclean to a Jew. So he gets that low. He's doing what his, he's been raised up in is unclean. Unclean living. And he got so low that he would have been just grateful to eat what the pigs were eating. He must have come from a substantial household because there was an inheritance to give, right? And his father did. He gave, it, he gave him that inheritance. He gave the, old, the older son the inheritance too, you know. So he must have come from where he had provision 
There were servants in the house that he was saying, those servants that are in my father's house, they're eating better than I can ever think to eat right now. And they've got more. They've got an abundance. And look where I am, okay? Praise the Lord. But in verse 17, but he came to himself. (laughs) There came a day he came to himself. What am I doing with my life? There's got to come a point in people's lives where they come to themselves. Maybe that's not, maybe that is you today. Maybe it's not you today, but maybe it's somebody you know. Maybe you need to be praying. God, help, you know, help them come to themselves. Open their eyes so they can see the condition they're in. Amen. He came to himself. He realized how far he had gone uh, from living under the blessing of his father's house. So much so he did not even think he was worthy to be called his son anymore. He realized how badly he had sinned against his father and did not even feel worthy enough to be called his son. But he, he... made this plan where I'm just going to go back. I'm going to tell my father, I am sorry. I've missed it. Uh I've done wrong. And please just let me live like the servant. I mean, that will be good enough for me. I'll just live like the servant. But his, you know what? His father, he saw him coming. He saw him coming. And he had compassion on him. He had compassion and ran to greet him. Notice he did not ignore him. When his son was returning, he didn't take that opportunity to ignore him and beat him over the head with everything he's done wrong. He already knows he's done everything. You know, he already knows he's done wrong. He's coming to repent. So why would would the father then take that opportunity? He already knows he's done wrong, okay? Notice the son came in humility and repentance, and he was welcomed back with open arms. Amen. Praise God. All right. So in verse 25 now, I'm going to finish this out. It says, now the older son, the older son was also in the field with his father. Uh, And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and he heard a celebration going on without him. And he called one of the servants and asked what that way, what are we celebrating here? And uh, he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Okay. But he was angry. (laughs) He was angry. He wouldn't even go in. (laughs) Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost 
and, and now is found. Amen. Does this attitude, uh-oh, praise the Lord. I still have, I still have power. Praise the Lord. Okay. Does this attitude not sound familiar to you? <laughs> this does not sound like the Pharisees who were complaining that Jesus was eating with the tax collectors and sinners. This older son had been with the father the whole time. He could have gone and put that robe on. He could have put that ring on. He could have killed a calf and had a party with his friends. But yet, when the one that was astray comes home, he complains about it. He complains about it. Just like the Pharisees. Basically, his attitude was, look, I have been doing right all along. I've been doing it. I've been living right all along. I've been serving you all along. He does not deserve. He doesn't deserve that treatment. This was the attitude of the elder son. This is the attitude of a Pharisee. And this is the attitude of a lot of religious people. (laughs) He doesn't deserve what you just did for him. Well, I've got news for you. (laughs) You can never deserve it. There's, we can't do enough good to deserve what Jesus did for us. I don't care how holy you've been living. You, you don't deserve it. If you've done one sin in your entire life, you know, without Jesus, there it is. You're doomed forever. Okay, we, we can never deserve it. So this the attitude, well, he doesn't deserve it. I've been doing right. I've been living right. Serving you, uh, and he hasn't, but yet you're blessing him. We can never deserve it. Amen. Did you know God expects his children to live holy and upright? He does expect that of us. That's for a different message. <laughs> That's for a different message. Okay? God does expect us to live right. Okay? But us living right, we. It does not earn us a seat at the table. It's by invitation only. (laughs) That seat, it's invitation only. But the good news is, you've been invited. We've all been invited. Okay, but we didn't earn that invitation. Amen. Amen. Jesus is the only way. Not our good our good works. Uh, the works mentality, that's, it's, it's, it's hard because when we preach and teach, you don't want to say things like works aren't going to get you there sometimes because you can almost give the impression like that doesn't matter. And it does. Right living matters. Living a holy, righteous life matters. It does. But it does not earn you a seat at the table. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it, it matters. Amen. Your, your life will reflect it. Your life, it will not end well for you 
if you do not pursue a holy, upright life. It just won't. It just won't. But that's not what gets you an invitation. Amen. We're all invited. Jesus is the only way. John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Doesn't say you come to the Father by living good. Doesn't say like because you earned it. No. The only way to Jesus, the only way to the Father God is through Jesus. And you can either accept the invitation or not. Amen. Amen. He does not invite us uh, to religion. This is where the Pharisees made a mistake in their thinking. They did not think right. They gave, there's that passage, passage in the Bible that says, having a form of godliness but denying the power. They operated under the guise, under the appearance of having a relationship. But they, they, without relationship, you know what I'm saying? You're invited to a relationship with Jesus. You're not invited to a religion. That's right. Amen. Amen. And because we, we know, we saw what Jesus thought about the so-called religious people. Uh-huh. They were critical. They complained. They challenged Jesus continually. Now, listen, if you're arguing with the word right. of God... That's basically doing what those Pharisees do. But God, but you know, why did you write that? Why did you? I don't agree with that. (laughs) I don't agree with what you said right there. So I'm just not going to do it. Well, that's, hey, that's, he gave you free will. You can make that decision. All of our decisions have consequences. So, yeah, they argued with Jesus. They complained. They challenged him. And they were more concerned about their own rules and traditions than they were about people. Because why? I mean, they'd rather rescue their animal out of the ditch than let Jesus heal someone on the Sabbath. Who who does this? This does not make sense. And I'm not saying anybody in here is like that. I'm just saying sometimes maybe we need to you know, you feel like a, a wrong attitude coming. We need to check ourselves sometimes, you know. Like, why, why would we complain about that person coming back? You know? Amen. I don't know. We need to be careful not to argue with Jesus. Amen. And this is important. I would just want to get this out today. God is not mad at you. God is not mad at the lost one. When the father saw the son returning, he had compassion. Yes, he did. Amen. I want to look at Second Peter. <laughs> so, I mean, they 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 just complained. The the religious, the people that should know better. We're mad at Jesus for reaching out to people. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. That's how far religion will take you. Yeah. It'll make you mad. Yeah. 
that someone's life's being changed. Because you thought, I've been here all along. God, why didn't you do that for me? And maybe the father's saying, well, you've been there all along. You've been, you should have been learning something. And using what you've been learning, you could have it too. But they were mad. Uh, I just, that just gets me. Yes. <laughs> Second Peter 3, 9. Now, the, the, uh, I won't read the whole thing, but people were asking him in the whole uh, chapter, verse 3, Second Peter. You know, they're talking to him about the second coming, about the coming. In verse 4, it says they were, um, they're talking about the last days and all of this. And in verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Where is he? For since the fathers fell asleep, so like the prophets of old and all that, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Like they're seeing, they're like, there's a, a promise of him coming back. I don't see it. Okay. And then they're basically saying God's forgotten. He's not going to fulfill that, his second coming. What he said he was going to do. In verse 9, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That promise to return. As some count slackness. So basically, the way you're thinking about it, the way you're thinking about why he has not come back yet, God's not being slow about it the way you're thinking about it, you know. But is long-suffering toward us Amen. And, will, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting for those people he's invited to come sit at the table. Yes. And sometimes he might delay it. I don't know how that all works about the exact timing of his return and all that, but I know this. He wants as many people as will to come into the kingdom. And he's going to wait as long as he can for the, the whole plan of his. You know, he's going to take it to the, the, the last that he thinks he can take it. You know what I'm saying? To allow those people to come home. Yes. Yes. Amen. That's right. Sometimes I think people mistake conviction for God's anger. Yep. Yeah. When you're convicted about something... I think somebody, okay, some people might think that um, is God's angry. God's mad at me. But really, it's the mercy of God. It's in the Holy Spirit, like I said, is, I, I feel is manifest in this place today. Maybe you're feeling something stirring around on the inside of you. you know, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy, he not condemns, but he convicts us of sin. Um, because God knows that a life of sin will lead to destruction. Yes. And so don't you know, it's the goodness of God yes. when you feel con- convicted. Right. It's the mercy of God. It's the goodness of God that leads somebody to repent. Amen. I mean, without that, who would, do, who would repent? Right. If we didn't feel wrong, if we didn't feel grieved yeah. by doing wrong, why would we stop? I mean, you know what I mean? Because we would just keep on living the way we're living, like nothing's wrong about it. God's conviction by the Holy Spirit is, is his mercy. Yes, that's good. Amen. And he's calling for a restored relationship yes. with him. And so I thought it was interesting when Brother Paul took over the service, uh, you know, the transition there, he was, you were saying something like, come home, come back, something like that. And that's what 
that's a phrase I was hearing on this, when thinking about today, is, you know, God's saying, come home. He's saying, come home. He's not mad. He wants you to come home. Now, there's religious people. I mean, there's probably, there may be some religious people in this church. I just know this, that if the church has hurt anybody, it's because people have flaws. It's not because of God. Amen. And so, he's saying, come back. Come home. Just come home. Amen. And so, maybe you feel like that prodigal son today. Maybe you've been living your own way. I didn't know who was going to be here today when I've been thinking about this for several days, okay? Um, so I'm not preaching to any one person. God knew who was going to be here today. Um, you know, maybe you've been living out from under the, his influence. Under his will and plan. Amen? But you've come to your senses. You're coming to your senses. You realize I'm not, this way I'm doing it. It's not the right. It's not right. It's not working out for me. <laughs> it's not working to my good. Um, and maybe you feel unworthy of his forgiveness. Not even worthy to be child, called a child. You, even I, and I'm not saying I'm like a perfect person or anything like that. But you know the enemy likes to beat you up. The enemy, the enemy even tries has at times try to get me to believe I don't deserve anything from God. You know, he's mean like that. He's mean like that because he knows if you return, God's going to welcome you. He don't want you to return. He wants to keep that hold on your life. But God's just saying, come home. He's just saying, come back. Uh, Maybe you've never come. Maybe Maybe you've never reached out and asked Jesus to come into your heart. But today's the day. I mean, I know that the Holy Spirit, you can, when the Holy Spirit's manifesting himself to you, you feel like on the ins- there is a physical, like, that's how I felt it when I was born again. It's like I felt a physical, like something was tugging me. Like I could physically feel it. And maybe you don't, and you just want to make a decision. Yeah. You don't have to feel something to make a decision. Right. It, you know, that's, that's true. And... So there's those maybe in that situation, but maybe those don't apply to you, but we need to examine ourselves to make sure we don't hold some of the same attitudes as the Pharisees. Amen? Being critical, complaining, not understanding why God's blessing somebody who's just returned when we've been here the whole time. Okay, it's not right. Amen. Only thinking of yourself. That's right. Not rejoicing when somebody comes home. Yeah. Right. Amen. Amen. So praise the Lord. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. I just want to. Um, I'm going to pray. If y'all will close your eyes.